Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of the worst folks I have trouble with, honestly, is not adults. It's actually friends of my children who take advantage of my children. And it's one of those moments when they mistreat one another or set them up for failure and say things that will hurt my kids in the future. And I found myself wanting to go knock some six and eight-year-olds out. I'm just being honest if I'm confessing this morning. You know, and I I will put them in a permanent timeout and make them realize you don't do this to one another. This ain't how we roll in the Kilby family. And they just, you know, and I know that's not right as a pastor. Um, but man, I could, yeah, it would be a bad day for me if I, if I got a hold of a couple kids. But there, there's, there, there's no point I'm trying to, you know, trying to make peace with me over this. There's no point to try to make, if you've hurt one of my kids. There's, there's no way you can make enough peace with me if you've hurt my child. There, there's, there's, there's no way you can buy me a gift and, and butter me up, you know. There's not enough money that you could probably give. There's not enough praises you could sing my name. There's, there's nothing that you can do personally to, to glorify me if you hurt one of my children. But there's nothing you can do more for me to compensate for this issue than to go love on one of my kids. And, and that's the reverse of that whole statement. The best thing you could do for me is to do something for one of my children. The most honoring thing you could do for me in that circumstance is to do something for my kid. You see, our, ki- our kids right now are in soccer league and it's driving us crazy. Uh, we're at our bandwidth. We're at our moment of fulcrum where it's just tipping over and we're just running around. And, and, and we said that would never happen to us, but we're loving on our children the best we know how. And it's pulling the rest of our hairs out. And, and, and it's those moments of clarity that bring us to this moment this morning. And, and there's a situation uh, that happened uh, this week, and, and I just need to confess, and it's one of those moments of uh, being a coach, and, and as well as uh, being a pastor, and I find myself in a predicament, because I know everybody out there is watching me, and, and it's those moments of, of, of you know, your father, of, of, a, you know, of a player on the team, and you're also, you're trying to be the coach, but you're also on the sideline, loving on them, being a pastor, but also just being a Christ follower, and so everybody has got an opinion, and they're watching you extremely well with their eyes, because they're they're wondering what I'm going to do or how I'm going to react. And so the other day, there was a, there was a kid, uh, and he's not here, so I'm, I can say, share this. There was a, there was a kid, and I, I know the parents were, are not here, uh, but there, there's a kid who, who could not have been a day older than 16, playing in an eight-year-old body. Uh, it was one of those moments, you just see him like, what, is, what are you eating, you know? Uh, and he's just like, every, he's here, and everybody else is here. And my little girl, man, she took it at him. I was like, yeah, get him. Knock that ball. Knock it out. And then finally, he just knocked her out. And I went, you know, I came off the bench. I came running. I was like, whoa. And, 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 and you know, and I was, I was at that moment, and my wife was watching me. She <laughs> She did one of those moments, and I knew I was in trouble. Because I, what do you say? You know, he just knocked out three of our players. No one. The, where's the whistle? Ref, did you eat it? You know. You know what happened? And I'm, I, I'm livid at this point. I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm a coach. I can be out in the field. I can trip him. You know, and it's one of those moments. I'll take up for my daughter. You're 16. You know, and all of a sudden, 
Out of the blues, man. There's a woman on the sideline. She jumps out of her little, you know, lawn chair. And she comes on that field halfway. She, she's just going at it to that referee. And that referee just, you know, pushing her back. And she was livid. I was like, I love that woman. <laughs> and I talked to Sarah after I got home. I was like, I love her. I don't even know who she is, but I love her. She went after that official. And from that moment on, you know, that, that, that 16-year-old boy, he started complaining because he couldn't play by the rules. He knew how to bully his way, but he didn't know how to skillfully play. And so, uh, yeah, I just had to get that out of my system. Hello, my name is Jason. <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, it's one of those moments where, you know, you just, you just got to get something out. And, and, you know, I'm sorry, you got the bunny. You know, we're in part two of this series called Believe With Us. And, um, and, it's, and if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go to our website, check it out, and, and, and catch up with our podcast. And they're all up to current. And it's, it's going to be beneficial for you to do that. And if you're, if you're really interested in where we're at, uh, just, just go to our website. And, and I promise you, it's going to be beneficial for you and maybe your friend who's trying to connect with us. And you're going to be able to point them in a direction of hopefully uh, of what Christ is doing in your life. And so to, to understand this series that we're in right now is to simply understand that we, we are believing in Jesus at all costs. Believing in Jesus that he's at the center of everything. We're centering and pointing and living for Jesus because we believe he changes everything. When you put him at the center, it changes everything if you put him in the center of your life. And so, but first, we better understand that we can mess things up. We can mess things up quickly when we, are, are, are we get in the way or we think we're doing the right thing and, and things can go especially wrong quickly in history. We learned that last week. And, and then we just assume through our conscience that that's the right thing to do. But if Jesus is not in the center of it, it just becomes a, a me thing and not a God thing. And we, we learned that last week. And see, this is what happened. The arrival of Jesus signaled an end. And we learned this, this language last week. The, the arrival of Jesus... Uh, it, it, it basically signaled an end to the temple model. You know, the little church in the steeple. It, it, ended, it ended just a whole, an usher of an error that was, was put in play because he wasn't present. But when he was present, all of a sudden, it, it just ushered in this, this end to the temple model and the beginning of something new. And it pointed everything back towards him. It pointed, I mean, he, he talked more about himself. He, you're talking about an arrogant person. Jesus was kind of arrogant because he filtered everything through him. And then with the cool part about it, he, it was true. You know, how many people do you know that could say, you know, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to get up out of my grave? And that's Jesus. And he did it. He pulled it off. And that's what we believe in. You see, the problem is our conscience has been shaped or modeled by people, places, or things that we've, we've believed to be Jesus, of Jesus, but it's more of a church Christianity thing. And which can be off-centered sometimes, guys. It can be so off-centered and ultimately point us in the wrong direction, not to Christ. And we could probably all talk about maybe a hang-up, a hurt, or a habit that's happened inside church. If we're just honest today, we could go around everywhere, right here, right now, and just talk about some situation that's happened in your history, in your time, where you've been hurt or wounded by the church. But see, that's what Jesus was, that's why he came. He came to draw a line in the sand and says, enough's enough of what the church model, the temple model. He goes, I have come. I have come to fulfill this. 
I have come to live in you and love you and, and usher in a whole new brand way of thinking. And so what we learned last week, this whole temple model, whoever con- controls your conscience ultimately controls your behavior. And we talked about this in the aspect, the temple model, and understanding the, the whole idea of what that looks like is, is this idea of sacred places. And so we gather in sacred places. And some people, like if, if you change the color of the carpets, you have you ruined God's Holy Spirit. You know, you know what I'm talking about. We live in that region of the world that we get so bent out of shape on whether or not the water fountain has got too much pressure coming out. I mean, it's just crazy. I've seen business meetings go south over the color of the walls. Or whether or not the pews are padded. I mean, I know it's kind of comfortable to sit and sleep in church, but come on. Suffer for the Lord a little bit. I mean, I've seen it go south, guys. And, but we treat him so sacred, don't we? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just being real. Because I've been in those environments. Sacred places. And we've also, we've got sacred text. You know, we pick and choose, right? We pick and choose ones. Whether you believe tattoos are good or not, we, we hold our signs. Tattoos, you're going to hell. Have you seen them? We, then we beat them over the, with this big object looking thing that you probably don't even know half the scriptures in there. You beat them with that Bible, man. You beat them to a pulp and just tell them, repent, repent, repent. And then, to be honest, they're the ones that need the repentance. But we, we, we leverage those scriptures. We treat them like a sacred text. And we post them all over the walls. And, and we don't even honor half of them. And then there's these sacred men. I'm not making fun. But again, man, I know some deacons in this area that I'm just sitting there going, really? You are called. You are called to serve a higher purpose. Not to belittle not to sleep around, not to do destruction. But you're doing an excellent job of that. And you wonder why people don't want to go to church. And then there's the sincere followers, which is most of us. We get into this habit of just following because grandma always said it's better to be in church, right? Or, you know, Papa always brought us in. So it just, it feels like I'm at home when I'm at this church. And you're just suffering. You're suffering because you're not getting fed. And you're just a sincere follower. You're just, you're just doing what you've always been taught. You know, I watched this little example on, on, on YouTube. And, and you can go check it out. And basically it's where they take a, a bunch of fleas. And a flea can jump up to like, you know, three times or 26 times its, its length of its, its body, which is about 12 feet. And a flea, a little small flea can jump about, you know, that far. And it's just kind of, cra- kind of crazy. No wonder, you know, we get around a dog that itches. You start to itch. I mean, they can jump. And, but you put them inside a jar, a mason jar, and put the lid on that jar, and they're sitting there just bouncing, 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 hitting the lid. Well, all of a sudden, three days, it only takes three days, you take their, their lid off the jar, and they will never jump out of the jar. They won't jump out of the jar, because they have been hitting that thing all this time. They've been hitting the lid, and they will never, ever jump outside of the jar. They'll only go up about this far now, because you've trained them what to do. Where's unleashing the Holy Spirit is in a lot of our churches today because we've, we've cramped people into these services or gatherings and we said, this is how we're going to do things. And we're never jumping up for joy on the rooftops anymore or proclaiming His holy name because we've been trained to not jump. 
see sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers get us into this, this idea of temple model thinking. So now you're with me. You see, but when Jesus showed up on the scene, he launched something so new and it pointed back to him. He said, follow me, believe in me, not the church. Believe in me, I'm telling you, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know it sounds kind of weird, but just trust me. It's not a temple model. It's not a 2.0 or 3.0 or upgrade. It's not a cheap knockoff of the Jewish religion. It is so much more. And he said something so simple, follow me. You don't have to change. Just follow me and then you'll change. And when that started to take place, people started to move. And when he started to move, he started to gather people up. And, and so he gave us this verse. And this is our verse for, this, for these next couple of weeks. And, and, and this is this verse in John chapter 13. And, and so let's just read it together because I think it's a very valuable verse for all of us to penetrate on our hearts this morning to understand whether or not you're a disciple. And so it says this. Let's read it together. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know who you follow. Not a church. Not a sacred text. Not a a location. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple. If what? You simply love one another. Where do we screw up? How do we mess that up? I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? Somewhere along the line, I'm going to be honest, I got in the way. It was my fault. It was, it was, it was my forefather or, or your forefather or your grandpa or your great-great-great-great-uncle that planted that church. We got in the way. You see, because when Jesus came to the scene and he dropped in and he said, hey, man, he said, believe with me. You see, he established a new covenant. He was the new reason for us to sing these songs. He was the new reason to, to shout out from the rooftops. He was the reason that all this stuff takes place. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. And the law is fulfilled. He gave us a, 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 new, a new ethnic group to follow. He said, it's, it's not just the Gentiles and the Jews. You should be all together, black, red, white. It doesn't matter. They're precious in his sight. We're together in this. And it started a new movement. It went crazy. People were like, man, this, is, this is, feels good. This feels really exciting. What is this? It's the Jesus movement. It's not a church movement. It's the Jesus movement. You see, the problem with us trying to follow Jesus by putting him inside the temple model gets us to a place where we are today with Christianity. Whether you believe or not believe with me on that statement or not, or maybe you don't agree, but think about it. We try to blend it together, and it just doesn't work. He said one thing. Love God, love others. Everything else is secondhand. But just like I said last week, 
If one of these statements I'm about to read causes angst or tension inside your soul this morning or your life, maybe, maybe you have been convinced the temple model is the best way. And so here's just a question I'd like to ask. We'll start off and just review, just a quick review. Have you ever wondered about how close to sin you could get without sinning? I mean, has, has that ever crossed your path? Like, what can I do? Is this sin or is that one sin? Because if that one's sin, I'm going to step on there. I mean, because it's just a little bit easier to get away with this. Or, you know, if this, you know, or just maybe just connecting on Facebook with my, my ex, uh, you know, high school sweetie is, is okay. And you just, it, no. What? Sin is sin. Stop sinning. That's what James says. Stop sinning. Do you feel guilty when you miss church but could care less about how you treated someone else at work? See, Jesus was real clear about this. Love one another. If you've ever feared over your child whether or not they're baptized or not, remember that? You see, a lot of us get oh, so bent out of a shape, you know, as the child ages and you're like, oh man, we, just need, to, we need to sprinkle them when they're a child. We need to christen them or we, you know, we need to, see, get, them, get them to the water. There's something special about the water. I think it's kind of funny, but our, our minds have, have contextualized into this shape. And we believe it's more important to baptize them and then they live a, a life as a hellion, but it's okay because they got saved. And they didn't have a relationship in the first place. Mom and dad dunked them. Not God. When you fail morally with somebody, were you, more, were you more concerned about what God would do with you than what you did? That sin against them? That moment you slept around or you cheated somebody? If you're more concerned about your relationship, God and God, please forgive me without even wondering about that person. Do you believe there's some kind of special prayer ritual uh, that makes you right with God and removes that responsibility to go bring restitution or reconciliation with someone that you sinned against? We're, we're so focused on Sunday mornings about right here at this altar between you and God, and we're like, God, please, I'm so sorry I didn't mess up, versus the person that you sinned against is sitting in that seat. It's more important here than over there. God's like, no, you go there, then you come to me. That is so tough, and our pride keeps us from it because we're just scared to death. Matthew 18, man, it's straightforward. Go to your brother, then come to me. You see, we, we definitely have issues of temple thinking, don't we? We definitely have issues of temple thinking. If your views of religion keep you from loving yous, if your view of religion keeps you from loving yous, that's temple model thinking. At the heart of it, the temple model is, is all about you, and it's all about me. In other words, let me put it this way. The temple model is you-centered. It's you. We come to church because of you. You get the donuts because of you. You get the coffee because of you. You get to you have a, a moment in here, and, and your kid's over there because of you. But at the heart, but at the heart of the temple model is a question. And it's a good question, but not a very good question eventually. And here's the question. What must I do or believe to make things and keep things right between God and me? We always come away thinking this question. 
What must I do to make things right? What must I do to, 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 to gain statue or, or favor with God? What must I do? And there's a problem with that. And if you says it right there, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about who? Me, not God. And when we look at their prayers, come on, just be honest with me. How many times have you prayed this week? God, help me. God, help my, help my children. Help the, and you're just all about who? You're not pointing out. You're pointing in. It's about you. Not what God can do through you. You're pointing to you. You see, when we pray, it's about me. When we give, when we give, we, we, it's about me, how we give. Trying to make sure people notice. I, I need to, to get back into church. Think about that one. Have you ever heard that one from somebody? I need to get back into church. It's about you. Why? Get your relationship right with God. Then come glorify the Father with other Christians who are singing from the rooftop. There's a movement that started. I need, to, I need to quit smoking. It's about you again. I need to quit sleeping with him. At the end of the day, it's the capital I that gets in the way. Temple thinking. It'll kill you. And it has shaped our conscience, and we don't even know it some days. Some of you really are sitting there perplexed. I can see the looks on your face. You're sitting there going, do I think that? Yeah, I guess I do. But man... How did I get here? That's a great question. That's a great question to be asking this morning. How did you get here? Why are you here? Have you even gone to the Father this morning? Have you even spent time before you came here and worship to say, God, how do you want to use my life today to glorify you? You see, temple thinking Temple thinking gravitates to rules and rituals. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful as a church, we can, we can so go there so quickly. We can lean into there and, and, and it just, it goes down and it morphs into its own thing and it's not even Jesus. We can, we can say it looks like Jesus, but it's really not Jesus. And temple thinking gravitates to rules and rituals and, and, and what happens is we begin to ask, what exactly must I do to, to make things and keep things right between God and me? But when Jesus showed up, and when the earliest followers to those who today choose to trust him and believe in him, they understand. They got it. What Jesus teaches and taught, and it, it is one, once you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus is fine with you. So you get to spend the rest of your life trying to follow all these man-made rules on how to make Jesus happy is totally temple thinking. Jesus wants to mature. He wants you to mature in him. He wants you to just, just to, to grow in stature with him and, and point everything back that you have to him, not the church, in a way that only he can get the credit. But temple thinking leads us to loophole thinking. It's the exception to the rule thinking. And again, this is why we ask the question, how close to sin can I get without ticking Jesus off? And essentially, it's, it's all about us getting what we want versus what, what the blessing God wants from us, following him or pointing back to him. So what happens is, is rituals become our, our escape clauses, don't they? Don't they? Which ultimately produces hypocrites in church. Ever heard of one? Maybe you are one. This is why some of you hate church. 
And maybe this is why some of you, this is your latch ditch, ditch effort to get, you know, to a place that's trying to follow Jesus. Because you've watched the Christian live out their, their life and simply ask the question, why in the world would I want to act like that when they're acting like that? Why would I want to go there or give to there, especially when they can't even say one nice thing about me during the week? They can't even love me, and I've tried my best to love them. Who wants to follow you, dude, to church? You can hand me all the little Jesus cards you want to. You can wear the little Jesus freak shirts if you want to. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to even want to participate in that? As long as we do this, live this way, following the temple model, we will never fully understand the love he came for and asked us to follow. He simply asked us, when he showed up, to abandon the temple model and believe in him. You see, Jesus model, the Jesus model is centered and points to the you beside you. The Jesus model points to the you beside you. It means if you're a Democrat, you're focused on the you to the right of you. It means if you're a Republican, you're focused on the person on the left of you. It means if you're a racist, it centers on the you that you don't want to have any part of in life. You see, it's centered on the you that you have a bad attitude all week long. Your, your enemy, your, your, the person you hate the most, it is centered on you. See, following Jesus, following Jesus is all about the you beside you. If this is the one idea that is put into application like it's during the New Testament days, it changes everything. It changes the way we live, the way we love, the way we feel, the way our families are raised. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, 12, this is the one commandment I give to you. My command is this, love each other as I have what? Loved you. Not here's these 10 little verses in the very beginning. They're great verses. Moses came up with a great you know, come off the mountain with encounter with God. And those are some amazing pieces of text. I'm not saying go break them all. You didn't hear me say that. I'm just saying they're great. But if you're going to stick to those and not go love one another, what in the world are we doing? It's a great law. But Jesus came and he said, you know what? Here's the law. We're going to raise it. We're going to take it on up. We're going to do so much more with it. We're going to love our enemy. That's why the Apostle Paul could say and get away with, with these statements in Galatians 5 and 6. He said, the only thing that counts is faith. Your faith expressing it through what? Love. And in Galatians 5.14, it says this. Every, everything in the Bible is fulfilled when we do this. What is it? For the, the, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is it? Love your neighbor as your what? He's like, oh, everything in the whole Bible is amazing, I'm telling you. But if you want to fulfill the law, if you want to follow me, if you want to believe with me, do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And do you know why we should follow this? Why it's wise for us to do this and, and believe in him on this one? Do you know why we should, should tell the truth? Like, do you know why we should tell the truth? 
why we should go all in and really following this loving your neighbor as yourself. Go back to this idea of, of telling the truth, of lying. All of us do it. We've done it. I've done it. I know I've done it. And I'm sorry that I've done it. It's not because it's, it's in the Bible. Thou shalt not lie. That's, you're right. It's, it's there. I'm not going to say you shouldn't do that. It's just, it, 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 temple thinking says tell the truth because the text says to tell the truth. But Jesus' model says tell the truth because when you, when you lie, it hurts the person you lie to when they find out the truth. You see, you're covering yourself for someone else's expense. When you lie, what you're actually saying to that person, you're not worthy of the truth. And whatever is best for you is secondary for that person. It's what you're actually saying when you lie to them. You see, the truth, what? Shall set you free. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. (laughs) I'm the light. Who are you following? Temple model? Or Jesus' model? You see, when we see, when we, when, we, when we lie, it hurts people. Those who were, were called to love, and it hurts the one we claim to point to. It hurts that relationship. You see, what about being generous? A lot of us are kind of stingy with some things, aren't we? It's in the Bible. Yeah, we're supposed to give. We're supposed to give back to church. It's a 10% thing. I know what it says, Jason. Oh, this ain't a sermon about giving. No, no, I'm sorry. It's just in the Bible. If we give with a cheerful heart, what does this Bible say? You know, we should give that way. It's a, oh, it gives, us a, it gives a great feeling. We should come in just giving, giving, giving. Yeah, you're right. It's where our heart is, our treasure is. I, I know that verse too. Something like that. Because mama did it. You know, mama taught us, you know, you, you get a dollar, you give you 10 cents, you know. That's that's the way I rode when I was a kid. And sure, all those are great answers, but I know it's complicated. Okay, I know this is complicated, uh, but you might want to write this one down. Uh, When you're generous with what God has blessed you with, the you beside you is helped out. I know it's hard. Okay, let's just write that one down again, okay? Let's just go back. This is church. It's kind of complicated. And the third floor elevation, I know all that happens. You know, when you give, you're helping the you beside you. When you're a faithful giver, you're helping the you beside you. Why wouldn't you want to do that? I know it's hard. But when you do that, it helps so much more than yourself. It helps the you beside you. What about this one? I've had this one happen to me multiple times in my life. That thou shalt not talk about uh, bad about somebody. I know that's not in the really scriptures and the Ten Commandments, but it should be. Uh, uh, but in the New Testament, it says don't gossip, right? It says, you know, prosthetoritoris. We know it's right between murder and slander. It's just right there in the Greek language. Prosthetoritoris. Sounds like a Harry Potter word, but it's right there. It's right there. Not to gossip. Why? It's in the Bible? Yeah, we shouldn't do it because it's in the Bible. That's, that's a great word. True, but it's because it's going to hurt somebody. It undermines their integrity. It's his or her identity being killed. You're killing the person beside you when you do that. You see, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself by lying, by being stingy, or gossiping. It's completely impossible. And don't think you can get yourself into this temple model way of thinking and get away with it. But why do we do it? How do we get here? Because it's definitely not the Jesus model. 
Do you want to know why we should not put pressure on someone to do something against their will? Like having sex, drinking, gambling, or anything else that they do not want to do, you, you, but we put pressure into them? Because when someone thinks about their greatest regret in life, they shouldn't be thinking about you 10 years later down the road. You see, you shouldn't be a part of the counseling session that has to take place now. When that person finally meets that perfect person they want to spend the rest of their life with and they dance around the issue wondering or not they should tell them the truth of that one regret that was put on you because of pressure. That one night that you got arrested because you were drinking and driving. Because someone put you into a position to go experience something. Regret. You see, there's no verse. There's no verse for that. You're right, you know. It, you are right. There's, there's not. But it's, it's not love your neighbor, is it, as yourself? That's the love yourself at the expense of your neighbor. It really is. If you think about it in those contexts, that's love yourself at the expense of your neighbor. And how many of us can honestly confess that this morning? We have loved yourself at the expense of our neighbor. You may try to whitewash it by saying, God, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you, but the you beside you is not good to go because you sinned against them. And see, Jesus was for them. He loved them. He was for the you beside you. You might be one of those yous that say, well, uh, what I did is, is not in the Bible. And your heavenly father, Jesus, is scratching his head and saying, are you kidding me? Do you need a verse for every single thing in your life that you're going to accomplish? That's what governments do. They make up laws. Oh, that's churches. He said, I have come. I have come to be the light, the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Believe with me. Follow me. You see, the New Testament, the imperatives here, and all these examples, all, everything that happens in all these parables, uh, they demonstrate, they demonstrate your love for God by loving others. And that's what takes place. All these examples, that's why people in temples find loopholes and make exceptions to the rules inside the Bible. And in saying, Jesus is saying, I did not try to cover every single thing that you're going to step in. I was just trying to give you an example how to love me by loving your neighbor. It's the only way it works. You see, love wins when loving God and loving your neighbors. Love wins when, when we love God and love our neighbors. And Jesus said, everything hinges on these two things. The whole Old Testament all the commands, everything that I did, that's it. It's just that simple. Those examples are all there for one thing, for you beside you. And when we follow them, we point to a greater you inside of you. And that's kind of deep, isn't it? When we start to follow him, we start to point back to the you inside of you, the greater you. You see, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. John 13, 30, 
34 and 35. You see, the Jesus model is less complicated, but it's far more demanding, isn't it? It's so much less complicated. I'm not trying to dumb down the gospel. I'm not doing that at all. It is harder to follow Jesus if we're going to be honest. At the center of our faith that we believe in Jesus, who is so passionately in love with, with what he believed in, and is not, uh, and he got himself hung on a cross, but eventually love brought him out of the grave. If it's all about this, it's so much more harder to think about it in just this terms. It's easy to find a place. It's easy to find a place to hide in the temple or to hide in churches. It's easy to find a loophole in the gospel of what sin looks like. Because we sort of take it inside this temple model and we just we say, oh, well, I can align with my buddies over here because we're in this little small Beth, uh, Beth Moore study and we all have agreed that this is what sin looks like. Or I'm not picking on Beth Moore because I think she's an amazing woman, but let's just go over here because now we've got to study a group over here. We, we've agreed that this is sin and we're not going to step past this one because that's okay. Or we get in this group over here and we gossip before we even talk about Jesus because we've set the boundaries. You see, we can find loopholes in the gospel when we get inside our temple model. We can find places to hide inside churches to make it fit for me. And I am guilty of that as well. I've done it. He said, but it's so hard to find a loophole or work around Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, it is as straightforward as that. There is no loophole there. It's hard to find a loophole around Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who, what, hate you. Man, that one's tough to swallow, Jesus. I... I don't know. There's no loophole there. Luke 6, 36. Be merciful just as the Father is merciful to you. There's no loophole there. When was the last time you showed mercy? You see, following Jesus, you will find that there is no place to hide. The question we asked last week was this big, huge question. What does love require of me? And the truth is, we already know the answer. But following Jesus is a difficult thing to do, isn't it? You see, when when God answered that question, when God answered that question of what does love require of me, it cost him his son. And when Jesus answered the question, it cost him his life. And then he said simply to us, Follow me and act on what does love require of me. Imagine, imagine what our city, our state, our nation, if for one week, for one week we ask this simple question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Every time you tell you got up in the morning and you went to bed at night, what does love require of me? What would it look like for one week if we all did this? If the Christians got up and asked this question, what would it look like? Can you begin to imagine how cool it would be to go to Kroger and stand in line in the groceries 
how amazing it would be to, to sit in line at the stoplight and not honk at somebody? Or go to work and the guy that you have been hating your entire life because he comes in and he's just lazy and he's a slothful pig and everything else and you come in and you serve him. You get down on your knees and maybe even wash his stinking feet. Most importantly, you start to love the in-laws. You do things that you're just like, what? Who is this? Is he sick? I mean, did he have amnesia or something? I mean, does he realize? He just cussed me out last week. What's going on? See, imagine if we all got a line and we asked that simple question, what does love require of me? You see, Jesus was teaching one day in Matthew chapter 25, and he was up there teaching, and he was just teaching and teaching and teaching, and he, and he started teaching about sheeps and, and following and separating left and right. If you're following, you're going to be on the right, and if you're not following, you're going to be on the left. And people were wondering why they were getting separated and people were just like, you know, I get the picture, and this is kind of hard to follow, but Jesus, you're doing a really good job, and I'm kind of confused. And, and he's just starting to really talk about the people on the right and what it looks like to follow me. And he's over here, he's talking about the people on the left, and they're not following me. He's separating them all out. And Jesus explained this in this way in Matthew 25, verse 35. And he says this. He says, for I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. Wait, and he's like, wait a minute. Hey, Jesus, we just met. I, I don't ever remember giving you something to eat. I, I really don't remember ever inviting you. I, I don't remember that. Do you remember Jesus coming to our house? I mean, do you remember taking him out to McDonald's? I, I don't remember that. And he said, you know, I was, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Did we give Jesus some water? I mean, I, we gave some people on the street a couple weeks ago, the barbecue festival, bunches of water. But did I see Jesus? I, I, did you see Jesus? I didn't see Jesus. I was a stranger and you invited me into your house. I really do not remember that. I don't recall at all ever inviting. I think I would have noticed the nail-scarred hands or something, you know. I remember the big tattoo on it says King of Kings. I would have noticed that one because I hate tattoos, you know. I would have noticed that one. I needed clothes and you clothed me. Did we have a coat drive for Jesus? I mean, I don't remember giving Jesus a shut up. <laughs> I was sick and you looked after me. I didn't know Jesus could get sick. Did we, did we take care of somebody who was sick? Did, did we go to the hospital and Jesus was there on IV support or something? I, I don't remember that one. I was in prison, you came for me. He broke the law, you know? Jesus broke the law. We, we went to prison. It says in verse 37, then, then the righteous will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and you give you something to drink? When did we see you, you as a stranger and invite you in and needed clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And in verse 40, he lays the hammer down. He says, the king will reply, truly I tell you this, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. Whenever you do something in my name, you're doing it for me. When you go out and love one another, you're doing it for me. You see, the Jesus model points to the you beside you. 
It's just that simple. Your devotion to Jesus points by your willingness to illustrate, demonstrate, and be intentional by your love. They will know that you're my disciple by my love. How you love one another. How you, how you pour out your heart to one another. How you go feed. How you go love on one another. You love me. You loved me. Did I mention earlier, if you mistreat one of my kids, all the singing in the world and the generosity and, and everything else you, you can do won't make up for it? And did I mention the best way you can honor me is by loving my kids? You see, in the same way, Jesus says this. Whatever you do for one of them, it's like you're doing it for me. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing for one of my kids, you're doing it for me. Whenever you're out there serving the least of these, serving me. Whenever you take up for the poor, the oppressed, the ones that have been beaten down on the soccer fields, you take up. You're taking up for me. Whatever you do for one of them, it's like you're doing it for me. Believe with us. You see, we have an unprecedented opportunity to make a difference in our city, in our region, in our world. But first, we have to center and point back to Jesus. And when we do that, it's going to be so overwhelming. It simply causes a movement, a reaction, and love, and love to be the the center of the epidemic, the virus that goes completely viral around the world, and it's called Jesus. The question is, can you simply humble yourself to love the you beside you? Can we work on that this week? Can that be the first question we get up tomorrow morning or even tonight, even today? Can that be the first question? How do I need to love the you beside you? Because when we decide to answer that question, we simply honor the Father who first loved us. So ask this question. What does love require from me? This morning, we're going to close with a song called Overwhelmed. And the only way we get overwhelmed, honestly, is is by the Father's love. And when the Father's love penetrates our heart, we begin to point back towards Him. 
And so maybe this morning you need to get things right in an area of your life by first getting right with the person sitting beside you. And so this morning, I know that there's some people here that's had a tough week. I know there's a person here that, it, that is just entangled in sin. And you need to get that sin right. But first, the only way you get that sin right is literally loving on the you beside you. You probably have caused sin in their life as well. So I would just encourage you this morning, ask that question. What does love require from me this morning? For the person sitting beside you. The bold question. We just trust God to move us. Jesus, we just ask now for you just to do what you do best. Just change the hearts of those who follow. God, you've been doing it since day one. You changed the hearts of those early prophets. You changed the hearts of disciples who followed you, who rejected you. You changed the hearts of those who persecuted you. Jesus, you changed my heart. It was stubborn-headed, arrogant some days prideful some days belligerent and God I thank you for changing me this morning I ask favor on my friends who are here gathered to hear your word to hear your life transformation opportunity if we just get this one thing right What does love require of me? God, may we all ask that question because it's about the you beside you. May we answer that question, respond to the Holy Spirit, seek your holy name and be overwhelmed by your presence here this morning. God, in your holy and precious name, amen.